You know, a concert. Oh, there's a concert. But we got to drive to Denver. Let's go. And they'll go. They'll drive. Right? Prayer. Prayer. Where's it at? Oh, down the street. Oh, run. They'll run. You know what I mean? They don't like prayer. Prayer is always the, the least attended um, activity in a church. Fellowships, picnics, everybody comes out. I mean, people haven't been in church in like four years. They show up because they know, they know Victor Outreach. They go, Victor Outreach, I know Victor Outreach, man. Fourth of July, they have a picnic, and I know their park because the pastor likes that park, and they always go to that park. So they show up. They're all holy for, for you know, because they want a, a taco. And, and, but that shouldn't be the case. We should be people that say, you know, we need to pray. We need to consider that to be part of our discipline, part of our life. It's almost like brushing your teeth. Now, how many of you brush your teeth today? The rest of you didn't brush your teeth? <laughs> Man, we'll get some extra mints or something because of when you talk to me. But, you know, for the most part, everybody, you, everyone here brushes their teeth. Why? Because it's a habit. You know, we, our grandbaby, sometimes you don't want to brush your teeth. You know? You're like, I don't want to brush your teeth. I'm laying down. Well, you better get up and go brush your teeth. So we had to force her to brush her teeth. Right? And you, your mom, dad probably did that to you. Otherwise, you'd be all snaggle puss right now. No teeth. I got no teethus, no money, nothing to lose, right? But they force you to brush your teeth, right? Right? You get forced. I know I did. And then you develop a discipline. Well, sometimes I think as a pastor, I said, you know, if I, if I could, I can't really. I wish I could force you to pray. Because if you're forced to pray, eventually you will develop a discipline. And then I can say, how many of you pray today? Everybody raise your hand with a big old smile. Right after I brush my teeth. Right? But some never receive an answer from God uh, because we really have not prayed like we should. And it teaches us often that when we ask for God, we ask for the wrong things. We need to ask. You know, he said, you have that because you ask not. But when you ask, you need to ask for the right things, not just to be selfish, right? So Jesus said in, in Scripture, until now you have asked nothing in my name. And he was talking to his disciples. He goes, but, and you've received, but now you're going to ask in my name. And greater things you will do in my name than I've done. I, may, I told one, one person that, you know, we're going to do greater things than Jesus. He, got, he thought I was like blasphemous. How oh, can you? He's Jesus. I go, it's not my fault. That's what Jesus said. That we will do greater things. Two categories that happen or two things that happen, you know, your spiritual life is not right. <clears throat> you know, you might be in sin or you might like sin. And so what it does, it just it breaks your connection, your prayer connection. You can't think, you know, you ask something with the wrong heart that you, you would get it, right? So these things hinder your prayers. But another thing, we, we do things also, and it could include other activities, but that it cuts God's power. See, God is in the blessing business. In other words, he wants to bless you. In fact, God is greedy because he wants to give you good things but because of the way we are and our lifestyle and our attitudes, we hold back his blessing. And he, it's like a, a parent who wants to bless her child. You know, <clears throat> I want to bless my child. But if they're acting crazy and, and cussing mama out, do you think I'm going to give them anything? Other, other than, a, you know, some five-fold ministry, repeatedly and repeatedly, amen? Hey, don't be talking like that, right? But we want to bless. Well, God says, he wants to bless you, but your lifestyle keeps God's blessing from coming to you. That man shouldn't think, or woman shouldn't think they're going to receive anything from the Lord. 
right? So I want to remind us, there's, there's five areas that, that help us establish our prayer life, you know, because we, we all have problem areas in our prayer life, right? Right? And so you have to, first, before I get to those things, you have to come to a realization that something's wrong. If you think you're cool, then I got nothing to tell you. I, you know, if you're okay, man, you could be my pastor. So you have to come to a realization that something's up. Psalm 66, 18 reads, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So you have to come to a realization that there's sin in your heart. Even if, even if you've been serving the Lord 31 years, listen, my friend, oftentimes sin creeps in. And so you have to realize that, you know what? God, I got to get right. I got to stay right. I got to fight to be right. Listen, walking with the Lord this long doesn't mean it was easy. I have to. I had to fight off everything that you have to fight off, right? If I can say that, you had a temptation, I fought that one off. You wanted to get high, I fought that one off. You wanted to punch somebody in the jaw, I fought that one off, right? You wanted to cuss somebody out, oh, I blew that one a couple of times. Hello? So, so, but you're going to have to fight and stay, to stay right. But you have to realize that. If you say, no, I'm good. Me and God have an understanding. I don't think you're talking to God. Because you're not good. I can say like this, you're no good. See, realization now is not just unconfessed sin. It's, it's sometimes you have to regard something. You know, have you ever wrote a letter? Kind regards. I give you my regards, right? What does that mean, regard? And again, it says this. In the New American Standard, that same scripture, if I regard wickedness. So first one says confess, but this one says if I regard wickedness. And I read that, what do you mean by regard wickedness? You could, you could put different words with regard. That word regard, if you look it up, means cherish. Or, or, or if I fondle, if I tolerate, if I foster. So if you, if you tolerate sin in your heart, what happens? Do, do you think your prayers would be hindered? How do you tolerate sin? You, you tell me. You know, you know how you tolerate sin. You, you allow people that you love to do what they want because, you know, you just don't want a conflict. Hey, you, no one wants conflict, but you got to call a, a, you know, call a spade a spade, a diamond a diamond. And if they get mad, you, that's not your intent. But if you regard it, if you allow it, that sin, the Bible says, becomes yours. Yeah, let's keep reading on. See, realization in regards gives us a picture of a person, these two words, knowingly sinning against God. Now, that's the key. We're all going to make mistakes. How many can say amen? amen. We're going to. That's not, that's not the issue. It's not that you are going to make mistakes. It's the fact that you know you're going to make a mistake, and you do it anyway. There's a little difference. In other words, you, you make an appointment for the sin. Matter of fact, you got your cell phone and you use it for the sin. You got your credit card and you run it. For now, it's a little different because it's not just like, oh man, I blew it, man. This piece of got in my face and I punched him. I shouldn't have done it. Oh God, I'm so sorry. Well, that was a good punch. But oh, I shouldn't have done that, right? <laughs> That's different. I'm talking, I'm talking about, I'm going to go get my freak on tonight. And I'm going to dress for the occasion. 
Now, that's a little different. Hello, someone. You know what I'm talking about? Can I, can I say that like that? I think you all know what I'm talking about. See, that, now you're, you're, you're playing around. Then, you, then what happens? You do that all weekend. And, then, well, if you're, and you're, you're trying to walk with God, and you do that. Then here you are. You do it on the weekend. Then you come Monday, Tuesday, and you know, you're all kind of bum kicked because you know you shouldn't have did it. But when I did it, it felt good, but now I don't feel good about it. So then you're going the whole week feeling like that, and then you're saying, God, help me. God, I need help. Right? Okay, now that's your first time. God said, I'm going to help you out. We're going to deal with this. But if you continue to do it, what happens? Now you're cherishing the sin in your heart. You're fondling it. You're tolerating it. Right? So there is no attempt, what I'm saying, to get rid of that sin. Isaiah 59.1 reads like this. Check this out. Isaiah 59.1. Surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save, nor his ear too dull to hear, but your iniquities. Iniquities is a fancy word for sin. Your iniquities have separated you from God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not here. Wow. Isn't that amazing? See, God wants to answer our prayer, but sometimes he can't. Isaiah very, very clearly teaches us that sin separates us from God, and he will not answer our prayers. So what, instead of praying about your situation, now we all, how many of us have a situation going on? We all do. And then we want to say, God, help me in this situation, and, and he will. But listen, he'll take care of business. But that's what you got to do. Instead of praying about that situation, Pray about God, change me. You know, this situation is making me look up to you, but rather than asking about that situation, can you change my character? Can you give me a better way of thinking, the right attitude? Now, I guarantee you, when you start praying like that, God says, man, look at this one. They're praying for the right things. Remember, you have not because you ask not. You, you ask amiss. They're praying for the right thing, and he's faithful. He says, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else will be added on to you. But what we do, we always pray for the circumstance and never deal with our character. And so we're always coming back to, we're always in you know, emergency mode. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, 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 God. And God, eventually God said, you know what? Help yourself. You don't change. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over. No, now you're going to now you're going to go through it. And there's another scripture that says that God will laugh at your calamity. Huh? Right, Ray? You were reading that this morning. Laugh. Could you imagine you're going through it and God's going, ah, ha, 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 ha. See, people don't like talking about God like that, but God, if you're not careful, he will laugh at your calamity. Why? Because it's not you did it once, you keep doing it, you keep doing it, and then when you're going through it, you're on your own, Jack. So you need to pray for you, change you, not your circumstance, right? Rearrange my life, rearrange me, God. All successful prayer begins with confession of any known issue, sin in your life. And the moment we confess, let me say that again, the moment we confess, it opens a channel to God. So that, and that's what we want to do. We want to open up a channel. The moment you confess, then boom, you got connection. You go, okay, now you got my, my attention. You're confessing. What do we got? Then you're going to say, God, help me with my character. Help me with my integrity. Help me with my issues. Then, and then you really got attention. Then he, be, then he becomes like a dad, like I talked about earlier, 
My son is taking care of business. Oh, what do you want me? You, that's all you want? How about this? You want this? You want this? All, all of a sudden, God wants to begin to give you his favor. Because you're praying for the right things. Amen? Amen? So, James even tells us to confess our sins. Pray for each other that we may be healed. Because the earnest prayer of a righteous man, righteous person, has great powerful, great, great rather, power and wonderful results. He teaches that the prayer of a, of, a, of a righteous person, a person who has been made right by the cleansing blood through confessed sins. It's not that difficult, but sometimes it is, right? So it's great power. I, I, I told a story years ago, uh, Norman uh, Vincent Peale, a very famous author, painter. He tells a story about a kid who found a cigar. You know how when you're a kid, I think we've all, I know we did, when we're growing up, you find a cigar and you want to smoke it. And when you're a kid and you smoke a cigar, it's not a good thing. Gets you sick, right? But you act it off. So the guy got this cigar and he went in the alley smoking that cigar and he didn't like it. Just like I didn't like it the first time I tried it. I was like, man. But I, I, I thought it was cool. Even though I didn't like it, my friend would look at me and I'd go, yeah, you know, I got a cigar. You know, I'm cool. You know, because you got that thing. Well, he tells a story about the kids. I, very, very, I relate to it. He had a cigar, and he's in the alleyway, and he sees his dad walking up. Right? And he goes, oh, man. So he, he tries to hide it, right? You know how we do. You cup it. You hide it. You know, I try to hide it. And they go, hey, Dad, the, the circus is coming to town. You want to go to the circus? And just like God, the dad said, son, it's not wise to ask for something when you have some smoldering disobedience behind your back. See, and that's often what Christians do. God, we're asking for something, but they got all this disobedience behind their back. And it's just smoldering. And they don't realize it, or they do, but they don't want to confess it. Or they regard it. They think they're right. Well, you just stay right, you and your cigar. Huh? See, you, you try to divert God's attention. You can't divert God's attention. That, the diversionary tactic. You know how that tactic, when you're, someone wants to rebuke you and they're dealing with you, and then you go, yeah, but what, have you seen what they were doing? No, that doesn't work. God deals with you. And when he's dealing with them, he'll deal with them. Right now, he's dealing with you. So look to your neighbor and say, he's talking to me. Amen. See, we have to have a right relationship with each other. I say, look at your neighbor. Because some people can't, don't, don't even want to look at their neighbor because they, they're mad at their neighbor. I'm going to knock my neighbor out. I don't like that. I don't like my neighbor. And, and, and see, that's another thing that will affect you. See, if your relationship is not right with your neighbor, then how do you expect God to answer your prayer? But pastor, you don't know my neighbor. Listen, neighbor. If you're having trouble with your neighbor, always remember this. It is no picnic from the other side. It always takes two to tangle. Right? It does take two. See, you have to have a forgiving spirit because many people have unforgiving spirits. So they have a bad relationship and then they're not forgiving their, their, their neighbor for whatever reason. I know there's a lot of great reasons that you have, them, but it's not great enough because regardless of what happens, if you have an unforgiving spirit, your prayer will not get past the ceiling. It won't. But pastor, these people did me wrong. I, I'm sorry. You got to take it up with the Lord. You have to. You have to forgive. Period. 
if you want your prayers to be effective. Now, if you don't care, you want to hold on to your right to be right and your, and your, 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 your right to be angry, then you can do that too. But your prayers will not work. Hmm? I know, I'm sorry. So have you noticed in the gospel how many times Jesus connects forgiveness with answered prayer? In Matthew 18, Peter came to him and asked him how he should forgive a person. Peter estimates that he should forgive seven times. You ever, you ever read that scripture? Jesus looked right back at him and said, yes, 70 times seven times for the very same sin. A day. So that means for the very same sin, you need to forgive him 490 times. That's what I said. Dang. <laughs> huh? Why? Because it's not an issue of them being wrong. They may be wrong or them not deserving justice. They may deserve justice. It's an issue of your life. It's an issue of your prayer. It's an issue of your well-being. In fact, if you don't forgive, then you allow them, the person who you're not forgiving, you allow them to rent space in your brain. They get to live in your mind without your permission. Once you forgive and you move forward, they are no longer a residence of your mind. But those who hold on to their unforgiveness, you give those per persons the right to interrupt your life. Maybe they hurt you before, but they get to hurt you over and over and over. It may have been a hundred times they've been hurting you over the same issue because you never forgave them and you're, they're hurting you over and over. Aren't you tired of that? The only way you can stop that is forgive them. Hmm? Don't let nobody crawl, crawl into your brain without your permission. So he was trying to teach Peter that forgiving, a forgiving spirit is not an act, but an attitude. It's a spirit. You, you have this attitude, this lifestyle that I'm going to forgive somebody. And listen, be of good cheer. Maybe I shouldn't say it like that. But God is going to take care of you, and God will take care of anybody who hurts you if you're right with them. So give it over to God. In fact, if somebody hurts you, you should pray for them. Because it is not a good picture to, saw, to watch somebody fall into the hands of a living God. And if you're pleased by it, then my friend, your heart is wrong. Because when God deals with people that have done you wrong, you should feel sorry. It doesn't look, I've seen it to others and it's terrible. It's not a good sight. I actually said, God, don't do that. I didn't want that to happen. Hmm? We have to have the right, right heart, the right attitude. So Jesus says, when we come to the altar to pray and talk to God, if something is wrong between ourselves and someone, make it right. See, we're a family, right? Okay. Has anybody ever gotten a fight with their brother? How about you? Have anybody ever slapped their sister? Okay. Or now, we've all, we've all been guilty of that, right? And, and now, can I say, do you hate your sister and brother, that the one you slapped? Don't you love them? Yeah. Of course I do. Well, we're a family. Every now and then, in the spirit, we're going to slap each other. Right? Every now and then, we're going to hurt each other. But we're still family. And we have to get past that and forgive. Because if you don't, you hurt. Not the person that you're mad at. You suffer. 
Right? And we want to get that out. We want to be a family that says, look, I made a mistake. Let's make it right. Because, you know, in fact, with this preacher, you have to make it right. Because if you don't make it right, eventually, this spiritual papa is going to deal with you. So you better make it right. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. Let's move on before everybody gets... See, sometimes we ask and we don't receive because we don't ask the right way or we ask wrong. So you have to have an uns- uh, you have to have a surrendered will when you ask. Because a lot of people in church, I'm talking, about, I'm not talking about the world. In church, they have an unsurrendered will. Then they want God to do something in their life. It doesn't work that way. You have to have a surrendered will to God, and then when you have a surrendered will, God says, "Ask me." So we want no way with God. First, let me ask you, and if you like it, then I'll surrender to you. Doesn't work that way, right? James 4.3 says, when, even when you do ask, you don't get it because your whole motive is wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Uh, does anybody pray like that? Don't, don't raise your hand. But if you do, you got to make the altar call. Because that's not why we pray, to, make, to give us pleasure. See, James tells us when our motive is wrong, then often the answer does not come out as we want it to, to come out. Right? Because I know people who are very genuine in their prayer life. They have a prayer life. But their motives were not quite, quite as pure as, as we thought. Uh, we had a friend, I won't mention his name. This guy would like a, I used to call him, I called him Gene. His name was Gene. The praying machine. And this guy, we'd have prayer meetings, and this guy would pray for hours. Right there, bro? He would, then I go, man, this guy prays. And I thought like, because I was kind of new in the Lord. I'd walk in, and he would pray, and that guy, he'd pray a pillow, and he'd pray for like three hours, four hours. i go, man, that's Gene, the praying machine. That brother can pray, right? But I noticed something. After a while, he's there a year, two years, but I noticed something about Gene, the praying machine. Nobody, he hung around with nobody, and nobody followed him. So I'm thinking, something's not right here. Jesus wants us to win souls. But nobody prayed with Gene. They kind of liked Gene, but they kind of left Gene alone. Because Gene was the kind that he prayed, and if he asked God, God would move. But the rest of you are heathens, no good for nothing, because you don't pray like me. See the difference? The, The motive wasn't right. And nobody followed him. Eventually, Gene left our church, and I don't know what he's doing now, but nobody followed him. Good thing, because he left the church and everybody was, all they said was, bye. And life went on. See, when you're praying, you have to have the right motive. Why are you praying? Do you love the Lord? Do you want to see things happen good for people? You want vengeance? I know, I know. I know it. I know. I'm going to catch you one day, because I know you're up to no good, girl. And it's going to come out. And when it does, ha ha, tell the world I knew. What kind of a heart is that? But people are like that. People are like that. And then they think they're okay. Wow. How dark is their light? No, no, no. When we pray, we got to pray, God, help them. Make them better. Make me better. That I'm not, not so critical people. God, bless them. Ooh, Jesus says, Bless your enemies. Does he not? 
Oh, so if you have somebody like that, like, oh, I know that person. They're up to no good. That person, you got them, you got that person in your mind? Huh? Ray's got like a whole list, right? You got those people? <laughs> Pray for the bless that person. That's the person you need to bless. You watch all the time when you begin to bless them, that ugly spirit that's controlling you comes off you. Because the devil cannot fight love. He can fight anything, he can, he can use anything, but when you have love and you operate in love, the devil can't fight it. It has no weapon. No weapon formed against that love of God will ever prosper. Mm. See, a perfect prayer is lifted up by a surrendered will. See, and you got to understand when God's looking at you, he's not just looking at your prayer. He's looking at everybody. Could you imagine if I got everything I wanted, it could, by all means, affect some of you. Some people, if you got everything you wanted, imagine this. Everything you wanted, we might as well say, here, here's everything you wanted, now go to hell. Because if you got everything you wanted, you'd probably end up in hell. So God knows what you need to keep you safe. Come on, you know, so God, if you just give me, let me win the lotto. Yeah, right. Really, and most of you, because most of you are not any millionaires here. Anybody who, are, who, who manage uh, maybe uh, stocks and bonds, mor mortgage, uh, any, anything. Kind of, no, most of you don't have that kind of training. So if you did win the lotto, lotto I would guarantee you would go to hell because you wouldn't know how to handle that. It would handle you. It would punk you. So I'm your daddy. Every, every dead present in your, in your pocket would begin to command you. And you would listen because you don't know how to handle it. So good thing you don't get everything you want. Amen? So you have, to, you have to grow up into it spiritually. A disregard for others makes our prayer life non-effective. So we have to think, I'm going to pray, but will my prayer hurt her? Will my prayer hurt him? Is my prayer going to be one that is just selfish for me, and if everybody goes to hell, that's okay? And, you know, I'm, I'm saying this because I've met people like that. They just want to be right, and they don't care if people go to hell. As a matter of fact, I want you to know that I knew it, and I'm, I'm praying, good, that's what you get. See, that's what you get. You get to go to hell. And they're Christians, I think. No, we can't be like that. That's very, you know, the Pharisees were like that. You read in the Bible, and the Pharisees, they were like that. They were walking around, they would put their robes and had little bells. They want everybody to walk, to look at them and let them know the, how, how holy they were. And, and, and they get next to the dirty people. See, God, I am so thankful that I'm not like them. You're not like them on the outside, but you're worse than them on the inside. Hmm? So we have to pray right. See, I've learned this. God has four answers to your prayers. Four, there's only four answers. You ready for them? Some of you listen, you guys heard this before. There's only four answers. He says no, right? He says Slow. He says, grow. Right? Or he says, go. It's not that complicated. The problem is we always want go. We hate no. We struggle with slow. And we get mad when he says, grow. And more often, I would say 90% of the time, when you're going through a situation, he is saying, grow up. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Romans 8.28 reads, all things work together for good for those who love God. How many things? All. all things. See, you are just a part of the big picture. And our prayer must be good for the whole. That's why I love what we're doing. Because when I pray, everything I focus, I, I want this ministry to grow. Yes, but more than this church growing, I want Victor International to grow. Why? Because that's what I'm a part of. So I have to look at the big picture. And when I look at the big picture, it helps me keep my prayers right. So you, on your point, you have to look at our ministry. When you're praying, you should be looking at the body here, your prayers, and how it would affect there. Okay, yes, God, I want you to bless me, but wait a minute. I want to keep the picture of my body and bless it so that I'll be blessed. That's how you should pray. Then you're not selfish. See, we, a perfect prayer never disregards your neighbor. In fact, when you're doing that, you're concerned about your neighbor. Everything you do, will it affect my neighbor? Do I move just to move? Do we make, even in church, you know, before we make a move in the home, in the church, I said, well, you know, before we make a move, it's going to affect people. Let's get it out there. Let's talk to them. Let's see how they're going to uh, uh, Respond to it. We're going to make a move. We're going to make a change. So we're not, rather than just making a change, we're always praying about it, and then we're letting it out. See how you feel about it. The, the effect, you know, and, and the first jump is always the highest. And then after what you get used to, then you don't jump as high. Then you kind of get used to it. But you're, you're concerned about the, the reaction of people. I always operate like that. Do you? Do you do, are you considering your acts? But when you do it before you make that move, are you considering how it will affect somebody around you? See, if we do that, imagine the picture if we're all doing that. If we're all doing that, every visitor that comes to this door will want to be a part of us because they'll know this, that these people care. Church, and all we do is thinking about us. Bless me, Lord. Okay, people will pick it up. Your, their spirit to come in. You know, we're not dumb. We, we can pick stuff up, Right? I said, so we want to have the right spirit, the right community, the right family, the right attitude. As my piano player comes to his piano. See, if all your prayers were answered, then you'd be the boss, right? And you're not the boss. One thing I've learned, that he's in charge and I'm not. It's like stewardship. The, the, first, the first rule to stewardship. And this is where, how, why some people can't give. Because some people just are tight ones, right? They just can't give. Well, I'm not giving, you know. Well, okay, you'll just live in poverty and be, be unblessed, but that's on you. See, the first rule of stewardship is this. He owns everything, and I just take care of it. Once you settle that he owns everything, then you're not, you're not giving anything away. Because it's not yours anyway. All you're doing is transferring it from him to others. But if you own it, if you own it, you know what I'm talking about? If it's yours, sure, I ain't giving my stuff away. Oh, I worked hard for this. I had to work overtime to get this. It took me 30 hours of overtime to buy this. This is mine. I ain't giving away. See the difference? And most people that don't know how to tithe or refuse to tithe or, or hit and miss tithers have not come to that, that, that understanding. That he's in charge. That he owns everything. And once you get that under your, in your mind, all of a sudden God says, okay, now this one has the right attitude. Let me bless them. 
this one is doing what I call them to do by scripture. Let me, let me get their back. In fact, pray, pray. And God is so good. Check this out how God trips me up. He is so good that even when we pray and he, he knows we don't have the words to say it, God will give it to you because he knows what you intend. That's how good God is. But it starts with you and your family, your relationships. It doesn't start with your, 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 anything else. It starts right with the people sitting next to you. Your family, your friends. That's where it starts. You want blessings? It doesn't start. You can act holy and, and, and give everything and, and work the hardest. And that's great. We'll appreciate that. But that doesn't work. That, that is not where it starts. It should, that should be an outgrowth of your relationship with the people sitting around you. Because that's where God wants to start, in the home. In fact, if you can't manage your own house, God says, you can't manage the house of God. If you can't have the right attitude with people, you can't, you can't get involved in the, in the things of God. You better get your act together. You better start acting right. Correct? I'm talking to leadership right now. Oh. See, a disregard, we disregard God's sovereignty, really. All prayers are ineffective when we do not understand that God is the boss. I have a story here. I'm going to read it, and we're going to close. I think we're like the Scottish woman who traveled around selling her wares in country towns. When she would come to a fork in the road, she'd throw a stick up in the air. Whichever way the stick went, that's the way she went. One day she threw the stick, but it fell. But when it fell, she threw it up and picked it up and threw it again and again. When it finally fell a different way, she went that way. Somebody asked her, well, why did you do it three times? She said, because the first two times it landed the way I didn't want to go. See, so we want God to lead us our way. He doesn't do that. He leads you his way. So you can keep throwing the stick up. Throwing your stick up, waiting for it to go the way you want to go, right? But that's not going to be God. It's going to be you. That, that's the sin of Cain. When God said, bring offerings, Cain brought his offering. He didn't bring what God asked. And he said, well, God, I brought you an offering. And he got angry. Remember that? He got the story. He got angry. God said, why are you getting angry? If you do right, why are you getting angry? See, people want to, want to serve God. They do. They have a spiritual thing in them. They want to do things with God, but they only want to do it under their terms. And that's where the disconnect happens. And then we want to pray to God, God, can, can you help a brother out? No. God, can you do this for me? Sorry. But God, can you hear my prayer? Because you're in sin. Take care of this. Take care of that. Pray for your character. Huh, get your relationship right. You can't be fighting. You can't be arguing like that. Oh, you can get angry. The Bible says get anger, angry, and what? Sin not. There's a reason it says that. We're going to get angry, but don't sin. And if you do, don't let the, the sun go down on your wrath. Why? Because it'll be bad for you. Not for the person you're mad at. For you. See, and if we're going to develop a, a, a community of love, a community that cares about, we got to get that kind of childish stuff out of us, right? If we can be mature, 
then we're ready to bring other people in that have to go through that on their own time. They're going to go through those steps of childish and wondering why God don't answer prayers. But if we get it right, then we can teach them and tell them, this is why, man. And if you do this, it'll make you better. And they'll get better. And they'll be better. And the family will grow. And they'll appreciate you because you gave me the right answer. You led me the right way. And now I'm blessed for it. It's very practical. It's very simple. Are you ready to do it? I want every head bowed and every eye closed.